You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Are you ready for some myth busting? Hello, yoga teacher. My guest today is Libby Hinesley, physical therapist, yoga therapist, and one of my best friends. This will be Libby's third time on the podcast, and today we're going to talk about myths and misconceptions that people have about anatomy, specifically within the context of yoga. Libby and I have been yoga buddies ever since we did teacher training together almost 16 years ago. Since then, we've had many, many fun and vibrant conversations about our evolving views and experiences in the yoga world. And I'm delighted to widen the circle and let you in on one of our conversations today. So let's jump right in and get started. Libby, welcome back to the Yoga Teacher Resource. I'm so excited to have you here to talk about anatomy myths. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be back and to talk about my fa- one of my favorite topics. So which part is your favorite, the anatomy part or the myth part? Both. Cool. Really both, yeah. So as we were thinking through this topic, we were talking about, well, what are the anatomy myths out there? And we realized that a lot of them in the yoga world are really more like alignment myths. Mm-hmm. But that's a good place to start because there is a myth of alignment. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So there's, a, I think, a general myth um, that align that there's a certain way the body is supposed to be aligned. And this may get us into a secondary myth, which is the myth of normal and the myth of average, um, that there is a normal human body <laughs> that looks like this and that we're all supposed to achieve that. If we just work hard enough for long enough and get these postures right, that we will be that normal person. But what's funny about the average or the normal is that nobody is actually that it's like a conglomeration of all the, the ranges of normal that actually exist in the human form. And um, it's probably the least likely thing that any of us actually is. (laughs) Right. And I remember I learned about this in an anatomy class that I took at a community college and it really blew my mind because I think it's one of these assumptions that we have without realizing that we have it, mm-hmm. that the, first of all, the, okay, we, we've already established average doesn't exist, but the assumption is that most people are close to average mm-hmm. and that the further you are from average, the more abnormal you are. Mm-hmm. And that is the, that is the misconception that That's it's right. really this spectrum and normal goes from end to end. That's right. There's such a wide range of normal. And it's like, I like to say our anatomy is similar to each other, but there is so much variation among um, how our bones are put together and how they are shaped and how big they are in these different angles. I mean, it's just, it's sort of endless variation and that is all normal. And actually the first time I was at an anatomy workshop and learned about these concepts, this was 
several, probably several years before I went to PT school. And I think it's the reason why I ended up going to physical therapy school because the teacher was presenting this concept of variation. And they said, you know, this is basic anatomy. This is stuff any PT learns about, any orthopedist learns about. And my mind was blown. And I thought, well, I have to go do that (laughs) because this is really cool. I was so into it. Um, So it's not something that I think a lot of yoga teachers have an awareness of because, you know, a 200 hour teacher training doesn't have time to really go that far into anatomy. And so it usually ends up being a gaping hole for people. And it certainly did for me. So this, when I had this aha moment, I had been teaching yoga for some years already and I had no concept of variation. I certainly was still under the impression that there was a certain right way to land in every posture and a certain right alignment in the human form. And a certain sense of normal where that has this implication of almost morality of it's better to be normal than to be abnormal. And that's that's what we really need to blow out of the water. There's no such thing as normal. There's no such thing as abnormal. And therefore, there's no such thing as better or worse. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's harmful and less, more harmful and less Mm -hmm. harmful, but it's not a value judgment. It's not a value judgment. And so often still, you know, I see that in students um, who may be in a pose differently because of their particular needs of their body. And they feel really inferior because of that. And they feel uh, remedial and, and it's just not the case. And I spend a lot of time telling my classes, you know, whether you're in this version or this version is no reflection on your worth as a human being at all. Or your ability to practice yoga. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And how good a yogi you are. And this is a conversation I'm really interested in having because I want yoga teachers to go out and have this conversation too, because I want the general public to start to realize that the project of yoga is not interested in achieving postures. That's right. The postures are fun. They like you can practice yoga on your way to achieving a posture, but whether you hit a posture or not is nothing has nothing to do with your practice of yoga. It really is true. It's completely irrelevant. And I often will say yoga cares zero. Yoga cares zero about how beautiful or, you know, quote unquote, normal or well aligned your yoga posture is. What it's interested in as far as sort of body positioning awareness goes, in my mind, is it's interested in you learning to pay attention to what's happening in your experience in this moment. And when we're doing asana, asana is a tool for that. And when we can pay close attention about to where our body is, where our body parts are and how they're moving, then we are embodied in our experience. And that is valuable. That's really valuable. But the leap that gets made too often is from that place of inquiry, actually, and discernment and all that to correctness. And that puts on a whole different flavor to the practitioner that goes from a very empowered sense of inquiring and investigating their own body to, oh, I'm not good enough because I can't get it in this one particular way that's been presented as the most correct way. Yeah. So even when we have an understanding of what's going on 
beneath the surface and what is happening inside the container of the asanas. We also have people showing up at our classes with varying levels of ability to sense their bodies in space and to move their bodies in the way that they're invited to move them. Mm -hmm. So we are interested in understanding the human form because that's the form we're in when we're practicing yoga. Mm -hmm. And we're interested in what types of movement are more supportive for certain types of people and, and possibly less supportive for certain types of people. And so we get this concept of alignment that tries to boil down this very complex body of knowledge into something a little bit easier to systematize. Mm -hmm. That's right. It, it's, um, it's like making something that is really vastly variable um, and then sort of creating a formula. It's very formulaic. This becomes very formula oriented and the human being is not a formula. <laughs> and that is generally my kind of bone to pick with alignment based systems of yoga. And it's not that there's not value there. There's actually incredible value, but um, it be, tends to have a propensity to become formulaic and prescriptive. And that is where it kind of goes awry. And I'll just say kind of a little anecdotal story because clinically in my PT practice, I treat a lot of yoga teachers who are injured. And what's interesting about that is that the, sometimes there's a myth that if I'm not doing the posture correctly in a certain type of alignment, that it's not safe and I'll get injured. And what I have seen over the years in injured yogis is that these are people who weren't doing it incorrectly. They actually have been striving for years to get it right, right? How it was presented to them as the right way. And it turns out that that right way wasn't right for their particular body. And so that's what led them to injury. It wasn't them doing, you know, something quote unquote incorrect. It was actually the opposite. That's typically what I see. And I think that is fascinating. That is really interesting. I loved what you were saying about alignment and, and alignment styles of yoga, because I've had these experiences where I've really enjoyed the mindfulness aspect of alignment, sty alignment based styles of yoga, where the detailed attention to every minute movement and position of my body really brought me into the present moment. Mm -hmm. And that was really engaging for me. And it allowed me to practice yoga in, in the sense that I think is the most authentic, the sense of presence. And at the same time, I have also experienced the injury that comes from seeing somebody else's version and seeing this kind of idealized version of a shape and trying to push my body into that shape. I'll give you an example is like knees and pigeon pose. Like my hips, they, they don't, I think I must have deeper hip sockets, um, more pointed forward. They're not shaped to go into that position where the front shin is parallel with the front edge of the sticky mat. And that is something that I have, even teaching teacher trainings, right? You, when you teach teacher trainings, here's what you do is you're tr initiating yoga students into this new realm of being the teacher. <laughs> right. It's, it's quite an honor. It's quite a journey. It's, it's 
fabulous and fascinating. And you get to see where are people at when they're students, because that's who they are when they show up at yoga teacher training, generally. Mm -hmm. And there's so much of this. How do I get my shin there? Mm -hmm. I've been trying for years. Tell (laughs) me how to do it. Like, what am I doing wrong that my shin's not going there? Yeah, I get this particular question a ton also in teacher trainings from students. Yeah. And I'm always shocked that they're still being taught to do that, actually, because I haven't heard that in a long time, you know, and I don't go to a ton of classes, but out there, it's still a thing. And, you know, I usually tell them, listen, most normal human hips will not do that. That is, that's pretty extreme thing to ask of your hips, unless you have really excessive external rotation available or the bony shape where your pelvis meets your femur and all those things have to be kind of all oriented in a certain way. And, and if the hip doesn't have that capability to externally rotate that far, then you end up with some torsional stress to the knee and it doesn't like it. And then the knee starts to get cranky and all for what, what's the outcome of that, you know? Yeah. And most people who can do that, they could do it like the first day they started yoga. Exactly. That's the kind of thing that does, you know, it may change a little bit in the first, what, six months or something, but um, 15 years later, if you're still not getting it, you're not going to. I actually had a workshop last week where someone asked, it might've actually been that it was something about a hip. I can't remember exactly the, the pose, but she actually said, now I've been working on this for about 15 years. I said, listen, this is just structural. <laughs> it's not happening. And it's, it's beautiful. Whatever you're doing is, is perfect. It is the full expression as one of my least favorite um, expressions, by the way, in yoga teaching land is this concept of full expression of the pose, because however you're in it, however your body needs to be in it is the full expression of the pose for that day. And it's not to say that you just get to be willy nilly, throw yourself around without any thought. It's just the opposite. It's actually when we try to understand what version of a posture would be appropriate for this practitioner, then we have to start digging. We have to start learning about who is practicing. We have to think much harder. We got to go beyond the formula to actual understanding of the human body and its variability and who's practicing and what do they need. You know, and one of the things you said a minute ago uh, really struck me as important to emphasize, and that is in a yoga teacher training scenario, um, as I teach those as well, and I, I love it. It's one of the favorite things to do. And I often will tell students, we're covering sort of the basics of these shapes, these postures, how they're oriented, how you get into them, because we have to have somewhere to start. We have to know what we're talking about. We have to sort of have a general idea of what warrior two looks like, because that's often we're saying words to try to get someone into a certain shape. The problem is we get stuck at the starting point and we stay there forever thinking it's the right way to be. And one of the stories I'll always remember of my time studying yoga um, at Desikachar's place 12 years ago, Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram, was that we, they were teaching us sort of the, quote, classical forms that Krishnamacharya taught. And some of them were wildly different from anything I had ever been taught here. But their point was, they said, y'all, we were teaching you the form, the shape, so that you know what to modify. But the whole point is that you modify this for the practitioner. 
And I was like, whoa, that's so different from my whole yoga upbringing, you know, up to that point. And I loved it. And the more that I have learned about anatomy over time, the more and more that makes sense. It's kind of mind blowing that Mm -hmm. evolution. And one of the challenging things as a teacher trainer is not being impatient for the people in the teacher training when they keep asking about the pigeon and some of the knees over the ankles and, you know, things like this, where you can know where a practitioner is by the questions they ask. Mm -hmm. And so there are times in teacher training where I'm like, you guys, we've been over this. You're asking the wrong questions. (laughs) Right. I know. And you just have to keep in mind, you think about you and me when we were there, you know, and um, even for years of teaching yoga, the things I said out loud to my students, oh my goodness, if I had that on, you know, video, I would probably cringe, but (laughs) um, we all start where we are and we learn more and more. And as we learn more and more, we do things differently. And those questions are such great places to unpack what's happening and why, why have you maybe heard that, you know, in your yoga classes before? Mm-hmm. What's that about? And um, then, you know, we can come to an understanding that maybe that was the starting point for that teacher who said that, and it's not that important. And here's why hip rotation. Yeah. It's variable. Yeah. <laughs> story. It's always going to be, and there's nothing functionally useful about having excessive hip rotation. That's not useful. Yeah, it's useful if you want to meditate in Lotus. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's a useful reason, I guess. But yeah, it always depends on what your goal is. Always, always <laughs> you go back to what is your goal? Practice accordingly. Um, that is true. But, but as far as functional movement goes out in the world and the ability to live life to its fullest, uh, you know, it doesn't matter that much. Right. And as we discussed in the previous episode that we did about hypermobility, a lot of times there's a bit, a lot of big challenges that come along with that ability to get into these extreme postures. And perhaps that's another myth. You know, sometimes when, when you and I have been discussing some of these myths, we're like, do we still, do we even need to talk about that? Because don't people know that now? Mm -hmm. I know that when we were first teaching people didn't know, but now they do and, and they don't. Mm -hmm. And, and that's why I started this podcast, honestly, is the lack of information that was available to me as a yoga teacher when I was first teaching how, how hungry I was for it. And it just wasn't out there. So now there's a lot out there and that's awesome. And I'm super grateful and privileged to get to pay it forward a little bit and provide some other newer teachers and maybe some intermediate teachers with the resources that I wish I could have had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, people are hungry for that. And I was too. And it took me on a long journey that I'm so grateful for too, because I, I never ever expected that I would end up doing what I do. But, um, you know, those questions that yoga students bring to their teacher at the end of class, those quick questions, I always like to put that in quotes, you know, when the student comes, I just have this quick question about my shoulder, quick question about my knee, you know, I mean, as a new yoga teacher, I was just like looking at the clock, 
given myself a high five because we finished on time and they got Shavasana, you know, and no one got hurt. And so there's so much to manage as a new yoga teacher that, um, I don't know about your shoulder after class. I have no idea, you know, but a lot of times students really expect the yoga teacher to have this vast knowledge base about pretty much everything. So, and it can be really overwhelming. And I think a lot of teachers feel pressure to answer. And, you know, I like to have my yoga teacher trainees often just practice saying the words, I don't know out loud so that they can get really comfortable with that because it's always okay to say. In fact, it's much better to say, I don't know, than to offer an answer that is, um, bull. That's what bull. Yeah. I I could, I could go, I could have a second part to that, but I'm trying to keep a clean, clean podcast. That's right. That's right. And the the reality is that um, the quick question after class is not a quick question. No, it's never quick. It it requires us to spend a lot of time together to really figure out what is going on with that shoulder. And that requires assessment skills that yoga teachers just don't have. And that's okay. It's not their job. So um, I think that's all hopefully empowering for yoga teachers to say, yeah, this take the stress off of yourself to know everything. But um, if you're interested in anatomy, there's, it's so fun to learn. Yeah. So one of the other myths that I think is really helpful to, and liberating to debunk is the myth about the fragility of the human body that a lot of times we talk about alignment as if alignment is going to save you from some unknown fate that is very terrible because your body's so fragile. That's the, that's the unspoken story. And part of yoga in, in my mind is to make the unspoken story, bring the unspoken story to light and examine it and discern (laughs) Is there truth to this? How much truth to this? Is it helpful? So speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So that's such a great uh, point to bring up. And two things came to my mind um, as you were just saying that one is I want to, I want to kind of go back and emphasize some of the value that there is in the notions of alignment or cueing specific positions. And, and one has to do with energetic inner qualities that emerge when you are in a certain position or bring some engagement or liveliness to a certain part of your body. You know, that's kind of been my experience in some of the alignment based systems that I've had run-ins with over the years is that it feels really sort of like good in a way that's more energetic. That's not really about the anatomy or the mechanics, but that those cues cultivate an inner experience. And I like that. That's a great use of, you know, exploring alignment. But um, there's this other, like you mentioned, sort of unspoken story that sometimes gets implied, which is any other way of doing this is dreadfully unsafe. And I mean, we're not even going to talk about what might happen to you if your knee goes past that ankle, you know? Um, but it never really gets fleshed out and examined. And, and so yet it does start to paint a picture about fragility of the body. And that is terribly unfortunate because this body is incredibly resilient. Now that, you know, depends on what body you're talking about. Right. And so a lot of people have all some different conditions and different injuries. And certainly that's different 
a body than a body that doesn't have those things, right? But in general, the human body is incredibly adaptive, incredibly resilient, and will adapt at all times, at every age, uh, in accordance with how we use it. That's what it does. That's what tissues do. And there's never an age at which that stops. So um, I often will tell teacher trainees also, you know, just watch some. If you're starting to feel like the human body is fragile and you're getting very scared about human movement, just go turn on your TV if you have one and put on, I guess, ESPN or something. Watch some sports. Just watch some people do some serious sporting events and affirm for yourself you actually have the same basic body that they have. They may have more fitness, of course, but you know, the body is built to withstand forces in all directions and every plane it's built to move in all the ways that it is able to move. That's what it's built to do. And there's nothing scary about human movement. So one of my mottos I like to say to people is human movement is not inherently unsafe. And if we are cultivating the impression that it is with our verbal cues in yoga class, we need to really check that. Because if we just do a little tweaking of our what we're saying, then we're starting to tell a story about resilience and possibility and transformation that is more accurate and feels better for the listener and feel and is more um, empowering. It becomes empowering instead of fear-based. So... Yeah, absolutely. That gets implied and it's unfortunately, and I don't think it's intentional oftentimes, but it's sort of like the end result of all this focus on correctness is that people walk out thinking they're supposed to walk like a robot because if they actually let their body just like, ah, experience flowing movement in freedom that who knows what will happen. Yeah. That reminds me of the, heyday of Anusara with like the shoulders back all the time. And I remember feeling because my shoulders do kind of naturally round forward. And I remember feeling really self-conscious about that and feeling like I was less of a yogi. <laughs> Be seriously, <laughs> because my, because if I were to relax, that's, how, you know, and so I had to be like this, this really kind of hyper stiff. Yeah. And, and that brings me back to something that you were saying just a moment ago about how what we do shapes our bodies. And that is true, right? We know, for example, I am really grateful to work primarily online, but I'm sitting a lot and I tried getting a bike and it didn't work for me. It made my back like go totally haywire. My body hated it. <laughs> so I'm sitting a lot and that has an impact, but practicing yoga has an impact. Mm -hmm. And practicing yoga for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years has an impact. So the practices that were good for us when we were walking in off the street, maybe in our 20s as an active person or in our 40s as a sedentary person are not necessarily the same as the practices that are going to be really awesome for us after 20 years of dedicated yoga practice. Yep, absolutely. Yoga practice should be dynamic and changing as you change and as your actual structure literally changes over time based on how you've been using it. So its needs absolutely do change. And so yoga practice shouldn't be static. That doesn't make any sense that we're doing the same thing we were doing 20 years ago. That doesn't make sense at all. 
So um, it's about, so, you know, yoga is here to actually, it's for you. I always tell you, your practice is actually for you. It's not for anybody else. It's so that you leave your practice feeling awesome, feeling, you know, comfortable in your skin, feeling calm and present and all those qualities that we would love to emerge from yoga practice. But sometimes that's a hard thing to really grasp, I think, for a lot of people. So I agree with you on that 100%. The other thing, I want to catch one kind of fun anatomy thing you mentioned about your experience with Anusara and retraction of the shoulder blades all the time, squeezing them back together. What's really funny about that, because I still think yogis get really caught up in scapular retraction at all costs all the time, you know, and, you know, the scapula sits on the rib cage and the rib cage is curvy. It's not flat on the back. It's actually rounded around that edge where the scapula sits and a normal angle for the scapula to hang off the rib cage is a 30 degree angle where the the glenoid fossa would point anteriorly about 30 degrees um, on average. Now, I don't expect <laughs> anyone to actually be that average, right? <laughs> but, but the point is like there's an anterior curved reality to how your scapula hangs off your body. So the shoulders, they, sh they shouldn't be back. Like that isn't kind of the more normal-ish way of a human body to land. So it's always sort of seemed interesting to me that that concept of, oh, your shoulders are so forward. Well, actually, they're just sort of where shoulders are because the shoulders follow the rib cage and the rib cage follows the spine. So if we have actually a scapular positioning issue, we need to look to the thoracic spine. But anyway, that's more of a down an anatomy rabbit hole, but it's totally relevant to what you were just saying. <laughs> it's totally relevant to this whole conversation. So it's perfect. Yeah. There's another thread I wanted to pick back up, which is about this longevity of practice. I was talking to a fellow yoga teacher who happened to be somebody that I trained the other day. And she was talking about knee pain and pigeon. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she's been a little more sedentary during the pandemic. And so we had this conversation about, she was like, I can't do what I used to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's life. <laughs> that's right. And you're going to hurt yourself if you expect that you can, just because you could do it yesterday or last week or last year, if that becomes cemented in your mind as your position, you're bypassing the yoga mm -hmm. of being in the moment as you do the pose and seeing what's my body wanting, able, interested in doing today. Yeah, that's right. And this is brings up just such a bigger, you know, more tender question about yoga, which is that yogis, you know, the yogis sort of had this understanding that we are embodied in the stuff of change. That is our experience. It is all made of change. And the whole, one of the whole points of yoga practice is to help us get a grip on that, to understand we are in a changing reality of embodiment, this structure, this physiology, this intellect, this personality, this heart, mind, it's changing moment to moment. And that is its nature, right? And so the yoga is here to help us uh, navigate that change, direct the flow of change to the degree that is possible. Hey, According to our goals, 
salad. <laughs> Can I make you a salad? Come here. Say hi to Libby. Hi, Raina. Hi, sweetie. Can you have your daddy make you a salad? I'm still recording a podcast. Or you can wait like 10 more minutes and I'll make you a salad. I can't wait. I need you to make it right now. Oh, I hear you, baby. So you have two choices. Either daddy can make you a salad right now, or I can make you one in 10 minutes. Oh, I know it's hard. Believe me, honey, if, if I had the freedom to make you a salad right now, I would totally make you a salad. I'm delighted that you want a salad. Will you close the door behind you? <laughs> oh, a little sweetheart. Yeah. She's clearly very hungry. Yeah. So I think when we can remember and realize that this practice is about helping us walk through our life to the end of life, then um, we can let go of some of these notions about doing things the same way we did 20 years ago um, and let the practice be supportive in that, you know, more tender kind of way. And then we have to come to terms with mortality. I mean, those are big questions, but I think that's part of what's in this discussion actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that what you were saying before reminded me of is last year I had a student come up to me at the studio and ask me which classes would be best for anti-aging yoga for anti-aging. And I thought this was such a perfect um, kind of example, you know? And I said, well, I mean, we're all going to age. I don't know what yoga is anti-aging. It's all of yoga, I guess. I mean, it's the healthier you are, the, you know, healthier you'll be aging. But the point isn't not to age, at least in my mind. It's, you know, can I be awake for my life? Can I be awake for my life? Basically, who cares about my pigeon pose if I'm not attending to what matters in my life? Exactly. Yeah. I think it's so interesting how I think there's an idea out there that anatomy is so dry. You know, the study of the human body is like kind of like uh, beside the point of the depth of yoga. I love how when you and I talk about anatomy, it goes deep. And that's because our body is what we're living in. Like this is the vehicle for having this human experience that is deep. It is deep. The anatomy isn't just the body. It is the house for, it is, is our house. This is, and it's an actual, the structure is a reflection of and a manifestation of every part of us. It's the story of our lives. You know, when I teach body reading or, you know, observation of, posture, whatever. Um, I, I have people actually put on heart shaped glasses so that they can have a loving gaze because they are looking at the story of someone's life told on their body, you know, Mm. and it is powerful and deep and um, it will inspire awe and wonder, not just because the anatomy is cool, but because, wow, the spirit lives here, you know, and the heart lives here. I love it. Yeah. And I love that we get to continue having these conversations through this membership that we're creating. If you haven't heard yet, Libby and I are collaborating on a membership called Anatomy Bites. Now Libby's going to do 
the vast majority of the teaching in this membership, but I'm sure there'll be lots of times that we get to talk and, and have more of these dynamic discussions where we do talk about the nuts and bolts about the body and what to look for and how to read bodies and how to help people adapt. And we also get to talk about the deeper work that this body is making possible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm excited about it. It'll be a fun way to support yoga teachers in their journey on learning more about this whole embodiedness, embodied experience through anatomy. You know, I think the one myth we didn't talk about, which is kind of perfect because it's what we created the, the freebie download about is the myth of safety. Totally. That's yeah. a myth, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it kind of points to the myth of fragility in a way, you know, and the myth of if you don't do it this way, it's, it's totally unsafe and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So the myth of safety is a big one. And a lot of newer yoga teachers and myself included, when I started out, was very concerned about safety. And that made me very strongly emphasize certain anatomical cues. And um, because I was really nervous that maybe it was unsafe to do it in a different way. And now I understand that different ways of doing a posture will yield different effects. And I have to understand what effect I'm going for to know how to cue it, but that there are lots of different correct ways to be in a shape and to move the body. And it goes back to what we've talked about before, which is understanding what's correct for a certain practitioner requires we know more about that person. That's more person specific. So if you want to, know a little bit more about this conversation around safety and how we can be thinking about holding safe space for our yoga students in both a physical and an emotional way, then you can go to anatomybytes.com slash safety. And there's a download that we created. And these downloads, we've created several of them together based on some really key topics in for yoga teachers and they're they're pretty meaty there's there's quite a bit of information in them for a free download like we were having this conversation Libby was like wow we're giving away a lot and I was like yeah that's <laughs> the whole point because you know people need some repetition right so we want them to come into the membership having been exposed to some of these ideas already because they'll actually get more out of the membership that way yep so true so yeah. True. So before we wrap up, do you have any last anatomy myths kind of bubbling to the surface or any last words that you want to end with? I mean, I would just emphasize um, the an attitude of inquiry. I think that's the first shift to make an attitude of inquiry. Start to study your own body, your own movements and um, become your own uh, internal sort of source of information that it will change a lot terms of your ability to empower yourself and your students through the practice and promote a feeling, promote the story of possibility, promote the story of resilience rather than fragility and fear. And that will change the world right there. Truly. That's powerful. Way beyond the yoga mat. Well said. Well said. Well, thank you so much for sharing so generously and as always, I, I just have so, I get so much out of our conversations. I feel like today 
this is the second podcast we've recorded in a row and it's a little bit, it's like later in the day, the first one was, you know, it was, it was all right. But I, I feel like we did our more usual bouncing off of each other this time, which was nice. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.